want to go through with you a truly dangerous and stunning interview that took place between Tucker Carlson and Marjorie Taylor Greene. It happened a few days ago, and I just came across it. I don't know how this flew under the radar because it's absolutely wild and disturbing the fact that people watch this and think it's reasonable. That's crazy. So we're going to hear near calls to violence, racially charged, fear-mongering, and a conspiracy theory that the GOP primary might be stolen from Trump. They're starting that up. Oh no. Uh, before diving in, make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel and hit the like button if you would. With that being said, we'll get to all these moments. They seem to get more insane as the interview goes along, so stick around for that. But let's go through it chronologically, starting with this Marjorie Green saying that people's perception of her Oh, people think I'm crazy. That's just because of an unfair caricature of her in the media. Oh, okay. Shocking. As a matter of fact, in January of 2021, all of Washington and the media, the national media, created a character of me that didn't exist. And then they sold that character across the news platforms, all across the country and across the world, 24-7. And Washington bought into it, too. And so every single day I showed up to work, all of a sudden I was like this toxic poison member of Congress in Washington. And it was attacks day in and day out. It was something I'd never experienced before. So I play that for you because as we go along watching moments from this interview, just keep in mind that she's trying to get away with saying, oh, all those crazy things you've heard me say or you've heard about me, that's actually just somehow the media distorting the facts about me to make me seem crazy. I'm actually super reasonable, the most reasonable people are saying. Well, we'll be responding to Marjorie's words, so we'll see how reasonable it is throughout this segment. And by the way, before moving on to the next clip, this is something she's really been leaning into lately. At one point she said, oh yeah, I had some conspiracy theories in my past, but now she's trying to go a different uh, route, trying to convince people that all of her conspiracy theories in the past and all of her dangerous views, it's not that she made mistakes, it's that those are just being dishonestly assigned as her beliefs. The Jewish space lasers thing, for example, she's just denying that altogether, which maybe could kind of work if it was all in the past and you started to pretend to be reasonable from now forward. But when you're producing new bonkers moments every day, that's sort of a hard talking point to sell. Then here is Marjorie and Tucker discussing Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I was shocked when the Ukraine and Russia war started, or if you want to call it a war, I don't call it a war. I call it, it's, it's a funded war. As a matter of fact, Washington, our country is propping up Ukraine. We give them $1 billion every single month. That doesn't have anything to do with war. That pays for their government. That pays their salaries. That pays their retirements. That pays to fund their entire government. So we have Ukraine, I call it the 51st state, because Washington loves Ukraine so much. They just love Zelensky and love Ukraine. But when that started, and then all of a sudden, and I wasn't for it, I was like, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. We have so many problems at home, and people in my district are suffering. People have lost their businesses. They can't pay their rent. Senior citizens can't, they're choosing between food and medicine. So I promise we'll get to the uniquely crazy moments that I mentioned at the beginning. I know we've heard stuff like that many, many times from MAG Republicans already, but first I just have to rant about that a little bit. So her normal talking points on Ukraine, I've dedicated countless segments in the past to responding to those for the sake of Ukraine, global stability, and our national security. We should be supporting Ukraine. We would spend 
a whole lot more money in the future if Russia isn't stopped in their tracks right here. But to her final point, this is something people like Marjorie Green say a lot. We shouldn't be sending money to a cause that's international security interest. They won't admit that. But the reason we shouldn't is because there are problems at home, which absolutely true. There are problems at home. And you know who is constantly voting against legislation to solve those problems? You, Marjorie. We want to address both foreign policy issues and domestic issues. You want to address neither. She brought up, for example, prescription drug costs at the end, people not being able to afford their medicine. Absolutely a problem. Marjorie Green and her fellow Republicans are the ones who voted against Medicare being able to negotiate drug prices to lower costs for seniors, something luckily Democrats were still able to successfully implement. Republicans call any Democratic legislation socialism instead of getting on board with actually solving some of these problems. And then she uses those problems that she's not wanting to solve as a justification to not help Ukraine. And you might remember that Democrats wanted to cap the cost of insulin for all Americans, but Republicans were able to prevent that from happening. So Democrats were only able to cap the cost of insulin for Medicare recipients at $35 out of pocket per month. Not to mention all the investments in jobs, infrastructure, etc. that Marjorie Greene voted against. So it's one of the most disingenuous talking points you can imagine. Next moment, Marjorie has quotes on the back of her book that's not selling well at all of liberals saying different things to the effect of Marjorie Greene's awful and that's a way to promote her book to right-wingers. And uh, that question leads to her saying this. MTG is a cause for trauma and fear among members of Congress, says Pelosi. This woman gets to come and talk about taking over the country and she's not behind bars. How does that work, says Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, they're like, they, trying, They'd kill they? you if they could. Absolutely. They would kill me. They'd kill you too. They'd kill many of us. What do you think that's about? I mean, the fear-mongering is just next level, super dangerous. If you think the radical left Democrats are going to come and kill you, what would that justify on your part? And that leads us to this clip. Like how long can this continue? You have one party that's destroying the country at high speed and another party that's helping them do it. Mm -hmm. And then the majority of the population to one degree or another is not on board with this. Right. So that sounds like pre-revolutionary to me. Like that can't continue forever, can it? It should, the American people should not tolerate it. No, they seriously should not tolerate it at all. That sounds pre-revolutionary, he says. The definition, I looked it up just to add a little context of revolution is, quote, a forcible overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system, end quote. The last time MAGA people got obsessed with the idea that it was time for a revolution, they would repeat 1776 all over again. Do you remember what happened? January 6th. As we get closer to Trump hopefully losing in 2024, the rhetoric from him and his allies is escalating and getting more and more in the realm of explicit calls to violence which is super frightening then you have marjorie proving that her attempts to impeach seemingly everyone in biden's administration totally pointless because she's doing it to everyone well, i introduced articles of impeachment on christopher ray merrick garland matthew graves the son of a bitch that attacks these january 6th defendants day in and day out, who is horrible, doesn't, doesn't prosecute crime in D.C. as a U.S. attorney. He has a jurisdiction to do both. Doesn't do crime in D.C., only does J6ers. 
Um, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, I forced that to the floor recently. Eight Republicans voted with the Democrats to protect them. Three of them were chairman of, of powerful committees. And Joe Biden, multiple times. But Republicans don't have the courage or the guts or maybe the maybe they don't want to to impeach any of these people. They, they clearly don't. You can't pretend like you're taking the act of impeachment seriously when you're trying to impeach everyone under the sun. Anybody you don't like, impeach them. And it's yet another example of the real lack of a commitment among extreme MAG Republicans to seriously govern. It's not about working through issues and trying to find the best solutions to problems. It's not about trying to implement policies to improve the lives of their constituents. It's about brinkmanship, these political stunts, the investigations of Biden desperately trying to attack their political opponents. And it's pretty exhausting. Then we get to this, and I'm having a hard time thinking of new words to describe the absurdity. It's crazy, it's bonkers, it's ridiculous, it's insane, it's dangerous. She's already pushing the idea that maybe the reason donors are supporting Nikki Haley in the Republican primary, despite her trailing Trump in the polls, is because they know it's going to be stolen from Trump. Are Republican voters, donors rather, that dumb and out of touch? Or is this some sort of complex PR play? Or what is that? Is the election rigged? I mean, that's where my mind goes. Well, Why yeah. would rich, powerful people choose to donate to a losing candidate unless there's something that they know that we don't know? Well, that's a great, a great question. Even within Republican primaries, MAG Republicans believe the only way the election can be fair is if they win. Rather ridiculous. And it is true that it's incredibly unlikely that Nikki Haley could win the nomination. Trump has a massive lead on everyone in the polls in the Republican primary, but if somehow she did, I dread how MAG Republicans would react. I'm sure they would say what Marjorie's already setting up there. It's all rigged. The entire Republican Party, except for Trump, is also a part of the Democratic Party or the deep state or whatever. Then Tucker Carlson and Marjorie go on for a few minutes lying about the murder of George Floyd. I won't subject you to that. And then the conversation gets to this. They sacrificed Derek Chauvin because he's white and he's male and they want to kill off a whole generation of white men. They don't, they don't want them to be police officers. They don't want them to join the military. They don't want them to be strong figures in their family or husbands or fathers. Well, they, they say all that, so that's not, you're not guessing. We need more diversity in our police. We need fewer white men in our police department. That's mm -hmm. what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So um, your assessment is not crackpot. It's taking their words and repeating them. Just in this interview, you have multiple instances of the most dangerous language you can imagine in politics. Not only, according to Marjorie, are the Democrats trying to kill all these different people like her, but they're trying to kill off white men just absolutely deranged while biden the leader of the democratic party an old white man i might add is focused on creating more jobs lowering prescription drug costs and building roads and bridges marjorie tucker and others are dedicating their energy to presenting a disgusting and distorted view of the world to their followers and we'll end with this obviously you're not gonna become a democrat because they're the mirror image of Satan. Democrats are Satan, she says. And they act offended that Hillary Clinton used the term deplorables. Come on. We have so much that I want to talk about in this segment. Lately, I've 
been seeing a surge in conversations about the potential of a Trump dictatorship if he wins in 2024. And so I want to weave a few different bits of reporting, interview moments and thoughts into one segment and give you a feel of where the political discourse is on the subject as of now. To be clear, everything that is super frightening about this segment can be prevented if enough of us vote in 2024. So that's the takeaway. It's not just, oh, doom and gloom. It's, there's an important takeaway and it's that we have to vote and encourage others to vote as well. But before getting into any of the new stuff I have to go over, let me once again, as quickly as I can, remind you of what we've gone through so many times. What do people mean when they say Trump is a wannabe dictator, an authoritarian, and would try to enact those ambitions if he became president again? Well, after Trump lost the 2020 election, he tried to stay in power. He didn't respect the results of a free and fair election. How did he do this? Well, two indictments lay this out. Our justice system is now trying to hold him accountable for this. He put together a slate of fraudulent electors and tried to get Mike Pence to recognize those as the, uh, the actual lawful electors to justify Trump staying president. They tried to impede the lawful certification of the election. Trump's allies breached voting machines in Coffee County illegally. Trump pressured local officials to fraudulently overturn the results of their state's elections. And don't forget, Trump's own former lawyer, Jenna Ellis, said, that Trump made it super clear to those around him after he lost that it was his intention to just stay in power, to hold on to power unconstitutionally, no matter what. Luckily, he failed. And then when he did fail, he was desperate. He provoked a mob to attack the Capitol to prevent the certification of Biden's victory. So in 2020 and 2021, Trump showed us with his actions as at that time the sitting president of the United States, that he didn't respect the democratic process. And he thought that he should get to stay in power despite the will of the people. He went above the constitution in his mind. Then went on to call for the termination of the constitution. If you don't believe my articulation of his actions, then he actually said on True Social that the constitution should be terminated all rules, regulations, and articles of the Constitution because of his lies about the election. So just loudly and proudly expressing his disgust for our Constitution. Then you move on to his plans for a second term. Some of this we'll touch on more as we go through reporting on this subject, but he plans to lock up his critics. He's been bragging about that publicly and then invoke the Insurrection Act to crush demonstrations against him. Trump and his allies have a list of people, apparently, that they want to wrongfully prosecute because they are enemies of Trump. Plus, he intends on uprooting the rule of law to avoid his own legal accountability and punishing any of those who dared to try to hold him accountable. And I won't break down everything here for you, but there are also extensive plans, and it kind of connects to what I was just saying, to centralize and then weaponize the power of the executive uh, branch for Trump's preferred ends. He's also been recently saying the government should quote unquote come down hard on media outlets he doesn't like such as MSNBC. So also proudly against the freedom of the press. No respect for democracy or our constitution and dangerous authoritarian ambitions for a second term. With that context in mind, let's dive into some of this. The Atlantic has been doing really good reporting on this subject. The 
reality of a potential second Trump term. And here's a conversation on CNN with one of the writers at The Atlantic breaking down the last thing I listed, Trump's plan to go after media outlets that he doesn't like. He just declared that he would do everything he could against MSNBC the other day because he doesn't like their coverage because they're a progressive channel. What might that look like? So he could use the Justice Department to, uh, you know, try to, well, there are a number of mechanisms, right? He's talked about trying to bring the FCC into the White House and use that to decide which uh, networks he can he can punish or shut down, revoke their license. MSNBC is not a, you know, it's a cable network. Right, so it's not he, governed by the FCC. Right, but he could try to use the Justice Department to find innovative new ways to crack down on them legally. You know, the, the question, the, the attorney general is one thing. The question is, what about the rank and file loyals, lo, lawyers at the Justice Department who, for example, have to file subpoenas or right. uh, do the actual work to put these lawsuits together? Uh, part of the work that's being done is that he wants to uh, essentially politicize up to 50,000 federal workers with this uh, plan that he has put in place through a uh, through an executive order that would make it so that everyone at the Justice Department is on board with his uh, agenda. And if they're not, they can be fired at will. Absolutely chilling. Absolutely chilling. Chilling is a good word for it, an understatement too. And to the last point that was made there, the Atlantic piece, what Trump's second term could look like, outlines this. None of the officials inside a second Trump administration is likely to put a stop to any of this. In Trump's first term, several establishment Republicans thought they had a duty to serve and be a restraining influence inside the White House. Quote, don't expect it to happen again, McKay Copens writes. This time, he would surround himself with bottom-of-the-barrel appointees who would care nothing for the Constitution and would only amplify rather than restrain Trump's narcissistic rage. Now, as an example of the types of loyalists Trump is expected to fill the government with, here is a man by the name of Mike Davis, who is considered, this is, once you hear what he has to say, so frightening, considered top of the list to be Trump's attorney general if he wins in 2024. And this is what he has to say. We've talked about this, Ben. I have five lists uh, ready to go, and they're growing. List number one, we're going to fire. We're going to fire a lot of people in the uh, executive branch in the deep state. Number two, we're going to indict. We're going to indict Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and James Biden and every other scumball, sleazeball Biden, except for the five-year-old granddaughter who they refused to acknowledge uh, <laughs> uh, for five years until the political pressure got to Joe Biden. Number three, we're going to deport. We're going to deport a lot of people, 10 million people and growing, uh, anchor babies, their parents, their grandparents. We're going to put kids in cages. It's going to be glorious. We're going to detain a lot of people in the D.C. Gulag uh, and Gitmo. And uh, list number five, I'm going to recommend a lot of pardons. Every January 6th defendant uh, is going to get a pardon, especially my hero, Horn Man. Uh, he is definitely at the top of the pardon list. Kids in cages is going to be glorious, he says. Promising also to lock up Biden's entire family. For what? I guess we know the allegations they're bringing against Biden, but honestly, it's the Biden beat Trump in 2024. That's the big crime. And then the Bulwark had a piece titled, There's a Storm Coming. We all know it. And yet Americans are pretending that everything is normal. And that's the purpose of segments like this. Everything's not normal. And I'll keep shouting that from the rooftops. One of the parts of 
this bulwark article summarized the danger of trump loyalists like mike davis who just saw there being in these important positions of power with uh, these bullet points it starts acting appointees or i should say acting appointments from top to bottom number two a cadre of thousands of political appointees vetted for personal loyalty to trump replacing career civil servants number three an understanding among trump lieutenants that they are free to break the law because they will be pardoned and number four an overriding desire on the part of trump to seek retribution against perceived enemies and just to continue giving you a sense of the now widespread discussion of this subject there was also a piece from the washington post titled a trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable we should stop pretending now that's obviously terrifying and it goes through a lot of what we've been and are going through now in this segment obliterating the rule of law throwing out the constitution and it seems like even though trump is broadcasting his ambition to do those things he still has a shot of winning all these millions of people are going to vote for him now i do want to say on that the title of that washington post piece bothered me the message should not be this is inevitable start accepting it it needs to be guys this is possible so we have to be as motivated as possible to prevent it from happening no one can stay home when it comes time to vote it's as important as it gets that's the takeaway as i said at the beginning of the segment also by the way something pretty freaky trump reposted a post on true social by someone who had linked to the article that I just mentioned a trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable we should stop pretending and the person that trump reposted didn't say oh this is insane they're saying trump wants to be a dictator that's not true they just said all the great things in their mind that trump had done but didn't refute the idea that he would try to be a dictator and trump reposted that and also didn't say oh no this article is crazy he's being very clear about his intentions and then you have former republican congresswoman liz cheney who is super conservative calling attention to this danger during a recent interview our darkest terms we will be voting on whether to preserve our republic in the next election you think this is a vote about whether or not we still have democracy in this country it certainly is you know and and donald trump has told us exactly what he will do he will not abide by the rulings of the courts uh, he uh, will certainly appoint people to office, whether or not they can be confirmed by the Senate. Um, he uh, has talked about using the military uh, in terms that uh, really are fundamentally un-American, uh, including here in the United States. So it's a very dangerous moment, and it's a moment for people to understand that, that that cannot be the path that we go down as a country. Just yesterday in an interview, you, you said fundamentally there's a choice to be made. You can't be both for Donald Trump and for the Constitution. You have to choose. Yeah. A vote for Donald Trump is unconstitutional, anti-American. Well, he won't he won't support and uphold the Constitution. We've already seen what happened. Uh, he is the only president in American history who attempted to overturn an election, who attempted to seize power, to stay in power after he had lost. Um, and the reason that it, we didn't have a much more serious crisis was because there were people around him who stopped him, because there were people around the country, state officials, for example, who stopped him, who did not yield to the pressure that he put on them to change votes from Biden to Trump. 
um, we won't have that safeguard again. And, and he's so dangerous. Uh, if you have a president who is unwilling to abide by the rulings of the courts, who's unwilling to uphold the Constitution, then there are no guardrails who can stop him. You've, uh, said, that we're, can stop him. you've said we're sort of sleepwalking into dictatorship in the United States. Dictatorship. Is that what we would have if we reelect Donald Trump? I think it's it's a very, very real threat and concern. And and I don't say any of that lightly. And frankly, um, it's painful for me as someone who, you know, has spent her whole life in uh, Republican politics, who grew up as a Republican, to watch what's happening to my party uh, and, and to watch the extent to which Donald Trump himself um, has, uh, you know, basically determined that that uh, the only thing that matters is uh, him, his power, his success. And um, that is not somebody you can entrust with the power of the presidency. It seems crazy to ask this and even crazier to fathom it. But do you believe if Donald Trump were elected next year that he would try to stay in office beyond a second term? That he would never leave office? There's no question. There's you think no he would question. try to stay in power forever? Absolutely. I mean, he's already done it once. And in fact, if you look at what he did in the run up to January 6th in terms of his pressure on the vice president not to count legitimate electoral votes, his pressure on the Department of Justice, on state officials, and then refusing to send help when the Capitol was under attack, um, he's already attempted to seize power. And he was stopped, um, thankfully, and, and for the good of the nation and the republic, uh, but but he said he will do it again. He's expressed no remorse for what he did. And good for Liz Cheney for calling attention to this. I'm happy it's why I'm covering it today that the mainstream media is starting to discuss what we've been discussing for some time. So hopefully that continues because people can't be motivated to vote against the threat that Trump is if they don't know that he's a threat to our democracy and rule of law. But even though the mainstream media is adjusting their tone on this subject, because we can't be acting like it's normal, all oh, normal political coverage of this election, it's not normal and it has to be treated that way. Even though there is a shift, it doesn't mean they aren't still failing in many ways. Take a look at this report from Media Matters pointing out a pretty stunning fact. Major news outlets devoted, it writes, dramatically less coverage to former President Donald Trump describing his political enemies as vermin earlier this month than they provided then Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's 2016 basket of deplorables remark in the week following those respective comments. According to a Media Matters review, and this is sort of enraging, the big three broadcast TV networks provided 18 times, 18 times, more coverage of Clinton's 2016 deplorables comment than Trump's vermin remark on their combined nationally syndicated morning news, evening news, and Sunday morning political talk shows during the same span of time, the week after the comment was made. CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC mentioned Clinton's deplorables comment nearly nine times more than Trump's vermin comment. Print reports that mention Clinton's statement outnumber those that mention Trump's 29 to 1 across the five highest circulating U.S. newspapers. That's completely unacceptable. And that is the asymmetry of expectations, as friend of the show Josiah coined it, that we talk about. Because the media expects Democrats to be more respectful, they lose their mind when Hillary Clinton makes the deplorables comment. But when Trump calls the left vermin, that need to be rooted out directly mirroring the rhetoric of Hitler, it gets less coverage than deplorables. And I don't think the mainstream media 
does this purposely is trying to help Trump, but it's just true that they grade Democrats on a tougher rubric. Often, I think, to come off as not too biased against Republicans because they're afraid of that allegation. But you just have to be accurate and you have to give the proper amount of focus to things that justify more focus. And I think we all, to an extent, allow extreme MAG Republicans and Trump to be normalized. They're so in our face all the time, so naturally we're going to normalize that. And we have to do everything we can to prevent that from being the case. I don't wanna hear another dang story about, oh, concerns about Biden's age or his shoes. We're talking about the survival of a democracy. That should be almost the sole focus of political discussions about this election. Before we go, don't forget to become a member at lukebeasleyshow.com slash membership to get the daily bonus show Monday through Friday exclusively for our members. Plus, follow me on threads at Luke Beasley Official, Instagram at Luke Beasley Official, X at Luke P. Beasley, and sign up for the Beasley Brief, a daily morning newsletter that summarizes the previous day's events by going to lukebeasleyshow.com slash brief, and I'll talk to you all next time.